Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. And we're back. It's episode 42 of the Triple Threat Theater Podcast. I'm Joe Daxberger. And I'm Ryan Miller. Oh, hey, Milsey. Hey, Dax. Milsey. Yeah? 1995, the year it all ended. Yeah, I think that this could potentially be one of our most obvious titles yet, but I don't care because uh, it just works. I mean, it just works. To think that, I don't know, were people just that down and out about the future in the mid-90s? I guess so. If nothing else, they were down and out about movies about the future in 1995. <laughs> I can say that. <laughs> yeah, just a uh, interesting coincidence that uh, these movies all came out in the same year. I love it. Within three months of each other. Yeah. Pretty sure this was your idea for a show. It was. Was there any more uh, meaningful or deep uh, thought that went into this one? Or did you just one day realize two of these came out? Mm-hmm. In the same year, and then we're like, I wonder if there's another, and there was. Yeah, I could. It could have been. I well, we'll break it down for the people. So we've got Tank Girl came out yeah. in March of '95. Judge Dredd came out in June of '95, mm-hmm. and Waterworld came out in July of '95. Yeah, the only thing that would have made this better is I think Barb Wire came out in '96. Damn. And if that had come out in 95, we could have dumped Waterworld and we oh, could have had sure. three post-apocalyptic movies based on comics that came yeah. out the same oh. year. Imagine that. Not that I would want to dump Waterworld. But, I mean, who does? Yeah. But uh, A lot of people, apparently, but I'm not <laughs> one of them. Oh, <laughs> uh, ditto. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know how this one came together. If it's just... Well, I'll break it down. So, I grew up on Waterworld. I was 13 in 95, so... I say I've watched Waterworld, besides for this episode, three or four solid times. Anyways, Mm -hmm. Judge Dredd I had seen, but didn't remember much. And Tank Girl I had never saw, but was very familiar with. Mm. How about yourself? Uh, I had seen all of these before. Uh, I want to say Judge Dredd and Waterworld were the same case for me where I had seen them back around the time they came out. Didn't like love, didn't hate, but just didn't watch them again for a long time. At some point years later, closer to now than when they came out, thought to myself, like, I should rewatch that and see what it's like. Rewatched it and enjoyed both, I would say, on that second watch. And then this would be my third time mm. for the two of those. Tank Girl, I think I watched sometime within like the last 10, 12 years, but mm-hmm. uh, less recollection of that one. Right. But had seen all three before. Okay. And based on my most recent viewing of Waterworld, you know, it's one of those things where, again, I saw it like back around the time it came out, didn't remember much about it. I honestly don't know what my first impression of the movie was back then. I definitely wasn't like a lifelong fan from viewing one, but rewatching it uh, not too many years ago, 
I remember thinking like, man, this is way better than the public perception of the movie is. And so not too long ago, Arrow Video put out a three disc special edition Blu-ray of Waterworld, Mm. which I now own. And uh, I'm like, you know, I don't I still don't know what the general perception of the movie is, but I'm proud to have it on my shelf. It having a three disc Arrow set has to be a good sign. But I would say Waterworld's almost like popularly hated. Yeah, like, it's like a well-known laughing stock. Like I right. feel like people who have never seen the movie, yeah, they know that it's like, like one of the. I, I don't see. I'd always heard that it was like a huge bomb, which we'll talk about it when we get to that actual movie. But isn't exactly true. Mm-hmm. But one of the facts about the film is that when it was made, it was the most expensive film production of all time at the time. Right. And the fact that it didn't come back and perform like Jaws or Jurassic Park or E.T. numbers, like, mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm comparing it directly to sure. Steven Spielberg, yeah, but <laughs> populist director that he is. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I guess the fact that it didn't become this huge runaway smash hit success that everybody loved, people just view those two, that those two like dichotomies together and mm-hmm. think like, oh, the movie must be shit. Right. But... I I can remember like liking it immediately, especially at that age. Like I was just really into future sci-fi. Like I liked post-apocalyptic. I liked mythology. I mean, I've always been into like Atlantis stories or things to do Mm -hmm. with, you know, maritime. So still (laughs) continues today. So I've just kind of always liked it. It's always been there. I mean, back when I was like 13, it's like, you don't, you know, you don't really have a, the best idea of like what is a good, like quote unquote, good movie. It's just like you like what you like. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm such a big fan of Chill Factor. Well, there you go. <laughs> so, you know, over the years, I've seen it like several times, and I've even uh, I've seen the extended cut, the TV version. That's I, like an extra forty minutes, <laughs> I guess, because there's there's parts you know I remember that aren't in the standard edition mm-hmm. which we'll get into that when we talk about it but so yeah Waterworld's been around quite a bit I've always been aware of Tank Girl and Judge Dredd just as comics and as movies just from you know the same being like really into comics when I was 13 and those were at least the movies were you know prevalent in like society at the time even if like I never like came across even like a Tank Girl comic back then or Judge mm-hmm. Dredd either but like my uh experience with those characters is to even to today this strictly in the movies mm-hmm. you know yeah i've read a little bit of judge dread i've read a little bit of tank girl i have some mm-hmm. collections of both of them uh in both cases i feel like you know i mean there's all kinds of different comics and stories and all media that i like but you know generally the comics that I like are like, you know, long running beginning, middle and end, like kind of uh, like preacher and Transmetropolitan. These are com- some of my favorite comics and judge dread and tank girl have always been very um, like I don't know, episodic is maybe like not the right word. Like instead of like one big sweeping story where you mm-hmm. like follow the character, it's just like, here's judge dread in this short story yeah. kind of thing. Like and serialized, it's like, I, I guess. Or yeah. Something. So like I'll sit down and I'll like be like, I'm going to jam through this volume of judge dread. And then it's like the way they publish them 
it's not like American comics where you get like a 22 page comic every month. It's like every week, I think 2000 AD mm-hmm. magazine and like the magazine come out and they have like shorter stories in them. And some of them are serialized into longer, bigger stories, but something about like that brief, it almost feels like you're reading a comic strip collection. And it's like, mm-hmm. I guess the same problem I have with anthology films and anthology comics. A lot of the time is like, I it's like uh, my attention isn't kept as well because you're constantly starting and stopping and starting and stopping instead of like starting something really getting into the flow of a story and following it through. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's like Tank Girl is just like a bunch of short stories and Judge Dredd largely feels like it's just a bunch of random short stories, which, you know, good art and potentially good writing and fun stuff. But I've just basically this is a long convoluted way of saying I've never really gotten into the comics for either as much as I've tried. And I like a lot of the art, for example. Yeah. But um, I have like an art of Tank Girl book because I like Jamie Hewlett. Mm-hmm. Um, who I didn't even really discover until he started working on Gorillas and then gorillas. I was like backtracked to tank girl but yeah jamie hewlett philip bond like a bunch of those guys that used to work on that stuff for deadline magazine like i dig them all but very aware of both but never the biggest fan in Mm -hmm. comic form or necessarily movie form i mean we'll find out when we talk more in depth about those films but sure i guess the other through line with this episode is just the post-apocalypse which I definitely feel like I've always geared towards those kind of stories. I mean, that falls squarely in the sci-fi camp, and a lot of times there's like horror and action and thriller vibes mixed into those subjects. Mm-hmm. And something that revisiting these movies, I can say they all have in common that I like, is that especially these days, it feels like along with stuff like the zombie genre, there's just like a glut of post-apocalyptic stories, be it like, you know, the planet was wiped out by a plague or by World War III or whatever. And they're usually very gray and dull mm. and mm-hmm. drab. All three of these movies, it's like a either brightly colored or uniquely styled or just completely different take on a post-apocalypse, yeah, well, which I like. It's a good point. It's still that like, you know, post-society vibe, but... Waterworld is very different from any other post-apocalypse you've ever seen, which they would typically be the exact opposite where water is in like short supply. Yeah, totally. And then Judge Dredd with its like big crazy sci-fi cities that, you know, it is like an apocalyptic landscape, but then within the mega cities, you know, it's uh, Mm -hmm. like a different vibe than just a barren wasteland. And then Tank Girl, it's just, you know, fucking cotton candy colors and shit (laughs) everywhere. right. So I like that about all three movies. That's yeah. like a another kind of unifying factor between these three particular post-apocalyptic mm-hmm. films. Mm-hmm. Solid points, Millsy. Mm-hmm. Should we just get into it? May as well. Okay. Uh, so again, all three came out in 95, but uh, Tank Girl was first, mm-hmm. uh, releasing March 31st, 1995. That cut looks painful. I like What else do you like? Hot oil. Vacuum attachments. Yes. Yep. Hey, which of you gorgeous guys would like an oil change, hmm? <laughs> Don't be stupid. She's gonna bite it off. The moment I feel teeth, you feel lead. 
What are you waiting for? I'm gonna need a, a microscope and tweezers. It's like a... <sighs> you know, you're gonna have to stop this. You're really getting me hot. Millsy. Mm-hmm. A girl is among the few survivors of a dystopian Earth. Riding a war tank, she fights against the tyranny of a megacorporation that dominates the remaining potable water supply of the planet. Struth. <laughs> so, right off the bat, let's talk Lori Petty. Please. I feel like in general I'm a fan, although she, A, hasn't had quite as big a career as I thought she had, and I have seemingly not seen as many movies with her as I thought I had. God, it's damn. mainly this and Point Break that I know her from. Millsy, we're about to have like a wild conversation because I had the same thought just last night. Like getting ready for the episode where I was like, big fan of Lori Petty. Like, and I had to look back and I was like, wait, there's no way I'm just basing that off of like her being like third name in Point Break and second in a league of their own. But basically it is. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, she, I guess that means that she in whatever roles we have seen her in is like a standout or memorable character. Yeah. I feel like she's got a very unique look that I always, you know, mm-hmm. it's like immediately recognizable. Mm-hmm. She's got them big eyes uh, for one thing, but yeah, uh, yeah. It turns out I haven't seen her in a lot. But uh, how do you feel she is as Tank Girl? I mean, again, not being like surface level aware of the character. I mean. I feel like I could, after watching it, like, to me, Lori Petty is forever Tank Girl. (laughs) I mean, that's how I feel. Like, from the images that I know and what I've seen, like, I feel like she played the part to a T. Like, it was the the only casting they could make in 95. (laughs) Uh, Well, they actually cast another actress named Emily Lloyd, but Mm -hmm. uh, she ended up getting fired because allegedly she refused to cut her hair for the role. It's like, how do you even be Tank Girl without crazy hair? (laughs) Yeah. I'm like 50-50 on Lori Petty as a character. Like, I think she's got the look, and I feel like she has the attitude, but at the same time, I don't know if I feel that she fully embodies the character. Like, it almost feels like she's putting on a character. Like, I don't fully buy her presence as Tank Girl or something. Yeah. and um, Not a a sentiment I share, but... Yeah, it's like... it's, It's almost like... I don't know, like, obviously you watch a movie and it's like, you know, these are actors and you can get swept up in somebody's performance and feel like they are really that character or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I'm sitting in an audience watching her, like, play a character on stage and, like, just by turning my head to the right a little, I can look and see, like, oh, we are just in a theater and, like, this isn't real. Like, this weird feeling of disconnect where, like, she doesn't fully feel like the character to me. Wow. Again, I think she's got the look, and I would be hard-pressed to name somebody who would necessarily be better, but, yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a tough feeling to describe. Like, it's an opinion that I, I don't know if I can really fully put into yeah. words. I get you. And everything I've said up till now could just sound like a bunch of nonsense, but... Well, that's why we got a podcast to work these things out <laughs> together. Yeah, so, I like yeah. her. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she fully pulls it off for me, but I like her. Yeah, it's like I... I mean, part of it is no being well aware of this movie for 25 years, so it's like I already associate her with it, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Between, like, her and, the, like, her voice, 
and her delivery just like I don't know, maybe like even embracing the crazy hair or just having like the 27 different outfits. Sometimes that change mm-hmm. mid-scene in this movie, you know, like I just had a, a great time with her as the character. I thought that it fit for sure. Yeah. She seems like the right age. I mean, I mean, you could tell me she was like 22 in this movie or 37. I don't even know. But uh, <laughs> at no point does she seem like too old or too young for it. She seems like just right. Mm-hmm. As for as bonkers as a fucking movie this is, this just popped into my head. Let me throw this one out there, and you know maybe she wouldn't have proven to have been perfect for the role either. Or maybe I'm mm-hmm. just nuts, but I feel like Feruza Bulk could have been a good tank girl. That's like definitely in the wheelhouse for sure. It's like yeah. that kind. Like you're not picking. Well, I mean, oddly enough, who's in this movie? uh Naomi, Naomi Watts. Watts, which was a surprise to me, <laughs> yeah. but it's like Naomi Watts isn't Tank Girl, you know, who would go on to be seemingly much more of like a, you know, respected like actual actress who you wouldn't expect right. to see in a movie like this, but who I who I believe is embarrassed of this movie. So, oh really? Yeah, I believe. I mean, I guess it wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people are embarrassed of this movie. Like, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. I wonder how Ice T feels about it. <laughs> well. I actually read up on that and he was on like some kind of inner, like maybe like a radio, like hip hop interview show. And I think the hosts were like kind of starting to clown him about it. And he shut them down by just saying that they paid him $800,000 to be in this movie. That just kind of <laughs> ended the conversation, which I'd be like, yeah, I mean, that's kind of enough too. So, yeah. And I mean, you make something like this, like it's completely bonkers and probably sounds crazy on the page and Mm -hmm. nobody knows how it's going to go. Like this could have ended up being like a very popular kind of cult film, which I guess it is technically kind of a cult film now anyway. But if you read, you know, in doing research and like reading, it's like many times I've seen people's stance on it as being a cult film. So, I mean, I, I guess I could see it. Well, just broadly in general, I'll say... I'm not the biggest fan of this movie. Mm-hmm. It's just one of these things where it feels like I don't even know how to relate it to just like it's that 90s time period where when you just think about like 90s advertising to youth culture and like bright colors and like mm-hmm. crazy shapes and like, you know, the the squiggles and the the purple triangles and like just that <laughs> kind of aesthetic. Like I imagine everybody knows what I'm, what I'm talking uh, about. And just like... Uh, uh, Remember those um those squiggles advertisements that were popular at the time for anything from like soda to candy bars where it was those paintings that were like cartoony but they were like really extreme with like a kid skateboarding and crazy force perspective and there's like soda spewing up out of the bottle that he's got and just like <laughs> yeah. that kind of energy yeah. and they attempted to put it on film mm-hmm. but it just ends up feeling kind of tedious and uh, it's it's pretty messy yeah, I see what they're trying to do, but they're not quite pulling it off. It feels like uh, a very uncool person trying to, like, watching some other movies and things and then trying to copy mm. a cool style. Mm-hmm. Like, it has a little bit of the feeling of hackers. <laughs> For sure. Oh, Where it's just I mean, like, that looked like, that movie looked like a boardroom trying to correct. make like a cool movie. And right. this is not far off from that. It's like, they took something that actually was cool and like indie and hip, which was mm-hmm. Tank Girl. But then they put it through a filter of like a big studio and it came out with like, yes, that's a kangaroo person. And yes, 
Tank Girl is wearing a bikini that's made out of two like giant rockets, but something just doesn't feel right here. <laughs> it feels like, well, I mean, it's kind of even obvious, but it feels like unfinished in that it has like semi animated scenes throughout it. Yeah. Which um, is like uh, not great. Yeah, most of the scenes aren't actually animated. It's just still images. Like, it looks like yeah, they just like took there. panels from comics. Uh, yeah. There is one animated sequence. But, yeah, it it's another thing where I'm not sure if it was just they thought that was a cool thing at the time, like, cutting to, like, the pop art stuff mm-hmm. uh, for, like, scene transitions and, like, exposition scenes. Or if they actually were, like, missing shots and... Like, to hear the uh, creators of the comic talk, there were parts where they actually had to, like, animate things because they didn't have the budget to go back and film stuff that was necessary after they had, like, changed the script mid-movie or something. But Mm -hmm. it does feel kind of cobbled together. Yeah, at the the first, like, couple times they do it, it just feels like fun scene changes. And at first I was like, oh, I'm, like, okay with this. Like, it was cool to see... The comic book artwork where is same with um judge dread opens with like shots from the comic oh uh, yeah actual images of the comics yeah, which is pretty awesome because that's like not really a thing we get anymore i mean we did for like a little bit here and there with marvel stuff but then it just changed to scenes from their own movies mm-hmm. you know so it's like and i get it that's why they don't do that but it was nice to see something old you know 25 years old that had that pretty prominently uh but yeah i think even like tinker all the like the final scene is one of these like half-ass animated things mm-hmm. that that's the one I think I explicitly read the, uh, the comic yeah. creators talking about is that like they changed the climax and then they had to animate it because they yeah. like the studio wouldn't let them go back and film. And it's like really poorly done. Like when we say animated, like barely animated mm-hmm. to it. I don't even remember what they try to show happens if it's just them riding off in the tank or what, but yeah, I guess the ending of the movie was supposed to be like because this is this is one of those movies where it's like it's the post-apocalypse. We live in a barren wasteland and there's no water. And the villains of the movie are this company called Water and Power. Mm-hmm. And uh, the end of the film was supposed to it was supposed to kind of be like uh, what was it Exterminators of the Year 3000 we watched way back on an early episode of Triple Threat, the Maxploitation episode, where mm-hmm. it was one of these, like, Mad Max ripoffs where they were trying to find water, and at the end of the movie, it starts raining. Right. It was supposed to essentially be that, and then the movie was supposed to end with Tank Girl, like, looking at the camera and burping. Mm-hmm. But, like, many of the studio notes from what I was reading were, like, trying to make her more likable and less Mm -hmm. quote-unquote ugly and stuff like that and they just wouldn't let that fly (laughs) that's probably like the big problem with the movie is just it could be studio interference because you don't know how much of it's like the people making it get it yeah then the studio tries to reel that back in and then you get this mess i mean milzy you know that i love a good training montage Mm -hmm. but of course and that means training or building or whatever montage and they miss out on the whole possible tank building montage here with one of these lousy comic panel scenes where it's like, and it goes on too long and there's like lots of noise, like they're building something. And then all of a sudden the tank shows up and I was going to, that bummed me out. And then it's out. just like a weird montage. It's like they did, 
It's like they did a photo shoot of Lori Petty with the tank the first time you see it. But <laughs> yes. they had her, they did like six photo shoots with different outfits and it was uh-huh. just like random yeah. imagery of her in different outfits, like sitting on the tank or standing in front of the tank or, you know, hanging off of the the gun at the front mm-hmm. or whatever. But you don't, and it sucks because the movie's called Tank Girl. The tank's fucking weird and crazy, but you like never get a good shot at the thing. Yeah. Which is like, I would like to have seen that, you know? It's like, you're going to go through all the trouble to build it. Let's see some of that tank. Let's see some more. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, if I'm being completely honest, my absolute favorite scene in the whole movie is the one scene that feels indicative of the title. Mm-hmm. It's the scene where uh, she's on the tank chasing that truck that she thinks has the weapons in it. Yep. And she's like fighting the people on the truck and mm-hmm. she's like... She's like uh, riding on the barrel. Yeah, like that was like the one scene where I was like, this really feels like they're hitting yeah. their stride. Totally. But it took forever to get there. With um with this character, and again, I haven't read many Tank Girl comics. I know that like Dark Horse later on did some miniseries, which were like four issue story arcs. Mm-hmm. But the stuff that I own that's collected is like the original Tank Girl strips in like three graphic novel volumes. And um it was just like a lot of like fun little zany short stories and stuff. And then you watch this movie and it feels like they tried to take that character and like that indie vibe that they wanted that audience to like, you know, Mm -hmm. pay to see their movie. And then they just laid it on top of the most generic, I'm an evil bad guy corporation and you have to fight me. Yeah. General story that you've ever seen. It's just, it doesn't leave a lot of room for what it feels like tank girl really is supposed to be. Right. And so it just all ends up feeling very generic. And then them just like having colors and things fly at you on the screen, trying to hit this vibe that they never really strike. Yeah. Cause it's weird when you read like about how the studio interfered too much. It's like what they like let go and didn't. It's just, it's just, it's just so weird. This movie is like very weird. Yeah, I'm not saying I hate it, or I even kind of think it's kind of fun, but you can't help but like almost shake your head at the thing the entire time, just because it's like, yeah, what what is going on? Then just feels like so many missed opportunities, and yeah, I'm the same way. Like I look at it, and I'm like, I kind of enjoy the vibe of what they're trying to do here, but just like every minute or two, there's something that just makes you go like, "Mm, yeah, they missed an opportunity there, like you blew it. Oh, that could have been better. It was interesting to see because this movie's got a pack of kangaroo people. Mm-hmm. Um, the Rippers. The Rippers, which were Stan Winston creations. Yeah. Which is cool to see. I mean, the makeups are good, even though like they're ugly characters on purpose. But, mm-hmm. you know, the makeups are pretty solid. Yeah, they look pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, Stan Winston apparently took a pretty major pay cut because he wanted to work on this movie. Like, he was excited mm-hmm. to create the kangaroo people yeah he's pretty proud of like the characters themselves which was, was cool you know it's like yeah. a story you don't expect like you don't expect this movie to get stan winston like i was very surprised to see that in the opening credits because mm-hmm. going in i didn't even know what the kangaroo guys looked like i know i've seen them from shots from the comic but i didn't know what they looked like in the movie yeah so i mean they looked better they did you know animatronic ears and stuff so mm-hmm Again, you never like really got a full body shot of any of them. Not really. You kind of. <laughs> you did. almost did. Well, uh, yes, cool. I read there about was this. supposed Go to on. be a nude scene of Booga in the movie, and they actually like sculpted an entire 
body for him, including his genitals. Mm-hmm. And then that's one of the scenes that the studio removed and they reshot it with him fully clothed. Right. Which, you know, no surprise there <laughs> that it even happened and that it got cut. But, mm-hmm. you know, you almost want to like really wish people, someone was like just given free reign to make the Tank Girl movie that it should have been. Because mm-hmm. it's like this movies like this. It's just like. You know, I still don't understand how it was made by a studio because it doesn't seem like the type of thing they would ever want to touch. Well, I honestly think it's kind of right in line with what we were saying before about like the movie Hackers. Like that's another one where it was made by a big studio. And it's like it's not necessarily something that they view as a sure thing, like a drama with like a couple of A-list actors or something. But, you know, they want at, at all times, these big studios, I think, want to tap into whatever the younger market is into because there's like a lot of money there if they can hit something, you know? And so there's this big culture out there of like counterculture people who are into like weird shit, like skateboarding and, you know, whatever else was cool in the nineties, but that the squares wouldn't understand. (laughs) And so they try and make something, but they enlist people to make it who don't know what they're doing. And then they are constantly fucking with the formula throughout, uh-huh. even though they don't really know what they're doing. And then you end up with something that's just like a weird hodgepodge e- example of like a bygone era of confusion. Right. Yeah. This feels like, <laughs> like a hackers or yeah. like this or like any number of other movies. Mm-hmm. Does it like, like this movie like feels like it had some money put into it just between prosthetics and tanks and uh, budget for this film was 25 million from what i read i mean yeah it's not it's not nothing you know it's not box office was six million <laughs> <laughs> you imagine <laughs> i mean it just it even seems weird to just you know i was young enough back then to like not really be aware of how things do you know pre-internet of course like in the box office or how big this movie opened or any of that I just, more than anything i probably just remember seeing ads for it on comic books Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, but um, yeah, it's just like a, it's just weird. This movie's it's bonkers, and it's it's not like I'm not even knocking it to the point of being like it's kind of just like what we cover. Like it's ridiculous, but it's like more often than not, it's just like missed opportunities to be to push the the idea further. Yeah, there's a lot of little things I kind of like, and there's fun moments with Tank Girl oh, yeah. and everything, but I don't know, just. Anytime the plot kicks in, it's just like ah, oh, the yeah, this water. It just feels again. so typical and bland mm-hmm. <laughs> once yeah. the plot comes in with Malcolm McDowell and his like really generic, uninteresting bad guy. Mm-hmm. And he had a cool um, robo arm at the end, but then they blew that with a stupid hologram head. Hologram so, head. <laughs> we just didn't even make sense. It's like not that things have to make sense for me, but they gotta make more sense than that. Mm-hmm. You know, like for some, I guess he got his head chopped off. In the fight with the Rippers, and somehow that didn't kill him. They just replaced his entire head with, with a hologram. I don't know. Who but yeah, knows? like, at the end of the movie, when it turns into Tank Girl and the Rippers, and it's like a siege on the big corporate bad guys, like, warehouse, and we're gonna fight back and, you know, mm-hmm. take back what's ours and everything. It just... I'm just sitting there, th- like, literally thinking to myself as I'm watching it, like... This does not feel in line with what I would think a Tank Girl movie should be. This, You could replace Tank Girl 
like lose all the silliness and replace Tank Girl with somebody else, and this could just be like a generic action movie. It's a good point. Yeah, and like the action's not particularly well done. Uh, one thing that really surprised me is: did you notice all the visible wires oh, during the final action scene? They were everywhere. I've never noticed so, many, so much wire work uncovered in any movie ever more than yeah. Tank Girl. Uh, I mean, 95, they probably had some kind of CG technology they could have used to take out the wires, but, and you know, you, they're, I would like to say they're not the most noticeable thing in the world, but I was seeing them in oh, every other shot, oh, every single shot with one of the uh, rippers in that final yeah, action scene. They're everywhere. Just wires everywhere. <laughs> I mean, and even without the green screen, like this isn't the first movie to have wire work. Like, I don't know how people covered it up before. Or they were just better with the angles and the editing, but yeah. Cinematography and lighting. Maybe. I don't know. When we say the wires are everywhere. I mean, you see the buck, the shiny buckles, the wires. Yeah. I mean, for long periods of time, it's, there were even some shots where I imagine like the shot was originally longer with like booger, whoever like jumping onto screen, which they would need the wire for and mm-hmm. then standing and having like a conversation. But it's like at some point in editing, they got rid of the part where he jumps into frame and you're just watching a scene of the kangaroo <laughs> man standing there yes. with a wire dangling off yes. of his back. <laughs> that was so weird. Super weird. Oh, it's like this, the entire movie feels like a mad scramble. I don't know, just to finish it or get it done or make mm-hmm. it or what, but. It's just, it's so bonkers. It's a mess. And I mean, yeah, it's part of it potentially comes down to director Rachel Talele. This was only her second movie. Uh, her previous film was A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 6, Freddy's Dead, mm-hmm. which uh, I would assume most people would agree is the worst Nightmare on Elm Street movie. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, it is just so kind of crappy and fake looking and it's mm. the one that has uh like a, there's a character, gosh, I think it might be Brecken Meyer is like a teenager who loves video games. And so when Freddy kills him, it looks like it's supposed to look like a side scrolling eight bit video game, Oof. but it's like, they didn't have the budget to make like a fake video game with like actual pixelated graphics. So it's like, Oh, the next best thing is we'll just draw a background so it looks more like he's in a saturday morning cartoon like garfield or something with a drawn background than actual like video game style art so it it doesn't even register in your mind as like what you're watching Mm -hmm. the person who gave us that film also gave us this (laughs) it makes sense like especially for the time like 95 because this isn't really nowadays action movies like you can tell in a good way that like every little bit of action is choreographed where like Mm -hmm. in the nineties you can like almost immediately tell when that is not the case. And this is Mm -hmm. one of those where it feels like the direction on set is everyone just like flap your arms and go crazy, you know, (laughs) like, cause look, there's lots of scenes of that. It feels like there's people standing around not knowing what to do. Yeah. Yeah. And there's parts within the action where I'm just not sure why people are doing what they're doing. Like, when Malcolm McDowell and uh, Tank Girl are having their little showdown on that like catwalk and mm-hmm. he starts like chopping the wires that are holding up the catwalk. And I'm just sitting there thinking like he's standing on this thing, too. Like, what's his fucking <laughs> yeah. plan here? He, he's on the far end of this thing. Yeah. 
it just I don't know. It's uh, the simple Again, way yeah. to put it is this movie is a mess. It's just yeah. yeah, they threw everything at the wall to see what would stick, and mm-hmm. then the studio took down half of the things that stuck and slid in some other things that didn't match right. the rest, and and then just like you know, who knows, use stuff from the cutting room floor or just. It's just. I mean, they reshot some things from what I read, and then there were other things that they just replaced with the animation. And yeah, it's just very jarring. Mm -hmm. That being said, I mean, it's got a pretty decent dance number. Um, (laughs) I suppose. And I like Lori Petty. In the end, I like Lori Petty. I mean, I'm not gonna say she saved it, but yeah, she made it much more watchable than it could have been otherwise. Mm -hmm. She definitely didn't save it for me, but yeah. But the scene, like you said, that it feel like felt like it was hitting its stride, where she's really like getting in some action in the tank, which I'm not even sure if they were trying to say the tank was remote controlled or alive in some way, because it seemed to do a lot. Of I things think on I its think own. it's one of those things where it's just like don't think about it. It's just like this bit yeah. movie is basically a cartoon, like right. it just yeah. happens. I was gonna say it's like it's like an anime, like anything goes. So yeah, because I do not like to imagine that the tank was like had a mind of its own. <laughs> It's the only thing that makes sense, but then you, that you've made the mistake of trying to make sense of it. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. That is like the one really fun scene. I mean, there's a couple of other like entertaining moments and things yeah. throughout the film. Uh, oddly enough, I like the character of Booga a lot. Like he's, mm-hmm. you know, he's kind of the dumb. He's kind of under the thumb of the rest of yeah. the very aloof the goofball kangaroo man. Yeah. He's like a likable, sincere character. Mm hmm. Yeah, Naomi Watts, you know, whatever. She's like a nothing of a character yeah. I could have done yeah. without her. Even like the need to have like that sidekick character that Tank Girl helps bring out of her shell and right. like the little girl character that Tank Girl needs to save and all that stuff, it just feels unnecessary. <laughs> totally. She should have had more time to shine with better stuff to do and more Tank. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of when they go into the, when Tank Girl goes to the, um, like that brothel club, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, she, I guess, I forget if she convinces them that she's there to work or whatever. They like send her into the like robotic dressing room that's going to try and dress her to like appeal to the gentleman at the club. And then it's almost like a scene of her like trying on a bunch of different outfits and coming out looking just like Tank Girl instead. Like that, that was an okay scene. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like there's plenty of uh, costume changes, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, if nothing else, the like my favorite aspect of the film, and this is going to be a through line for all three of these, is that being made in 1990, or being released in 95, being made around 94 or 95, the amount of practical effects, mm. in-camera special effects, mm-hmm. uh, old-school green screen compositing, miniatures, yep. Good uh, matte miniatures. paintings, yep. all of that is, like, my favorite thing about it. Like, you know, a lot of stuff in Tank Girl looks kind of shitty, but it's all mm-hmm. real. <laughs> it's kind of like you said, like, you can tell when, it, like, some movies are better with, like, not being glaringly miniatures, but this one doesn't really hold back on that, but it's fine. Yeah. Like you said, it's right there. Like Something like Tank Girl feels like very, it should be like a DIY or like tactile, like yes. actual physical movie, mm-hmm. uh, which is why I'm a little concerned that Margot Robbie's production company has the rights and they're looking to make a, mo- a Tank Girl movie with Margot oh. Robbie in the lead. Wow. I'm not gonna say I didn't think at any point that it's like, oh, is this like uh, was how much of this was a uh, something that they looked to for Harley Quinn, you know? Like, uh, 
Well, that yeah, that's the thing is, it's like if you're telling me that Margot Robbie is going to play this character after she's already played Harley Quinn, which is like kind of the same character in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I don't know like how but, much of this tanker was an influence on that that they would, then would turn around and go back to it. I don't know. But just imagine a modern day tank girl movie starring Margot Robbie that would probably be like, you know, a sixty million dollar budget or more, and all the CG versus. Yeah. I honestly think that this movie probably looks better than that would look. I don't, I yeah, don't know, yeah. but no. Are they going to do a better Ripper prosthetic look? You know, or well, that's the thing. It won't be prosthetic. It'll be yeah, CG, exactly. So and so, way. like they'll have the ability to make them look more like they do in the yeah. comics, like with a bigger snout and everything. But you won't have like a physical actor there with like yeah. This movie makes more sense in '95 for sure. Yeah. Tank Girl, just in general, no matter when it gets made, feels like something that should be very DIY and tactile feeling. Yeah, because even like, I don't know, what you would even call Tank Girl herself is kind of like alternative, a little punk rockish, kind of like, but whatever. Something that fits more, even though it takes place in the future, fits more in like the early 90s kind of vibe versus mm-hmm. 2020. So yeah. now I would say some like really good, like, animated tank girl movie could be awesome well that's actually kind of what i was thinking in that one scene in the movie where they actually did real actual animation instead of just still Mm -hmm. cartoon drawings they managed to do animation that looked pretty close to jamie hewlett's style why didn't they just make an animated tank girl movie in 1995 like a balls to the wall like even if they made it now balls to the wall like animated tank girl movie like with a good like early 90s like soundtrack even Mm -hmm. would be awesome yeah i'd be excited for that i have to agree alas milzy it's not the case yeah speaking of the soundtrack it was assembled by courtney love Mm -hmm. and it topped uh topped out at number 72 on the billboard charts and uh reviewers at the time said that they thought that the uh album got more attention than the film did (laughs) oh i mean it's not particularly like a standout track even from just watching the movie, but yeah. Yeah. No surprise. I am not surprised it didn't get much higher than that. I mean, it could have, they, you know, put some money into it or get again. Now it even makes more sense just to do it as like a throwback thing to early nineties. Like they did like Captain Marvel kind of thing, you know, makes mm-hmm. more sense now than it did back then. For sure. But this is that like Cap- something like Captain Marvel is you have the 2020 hindsight Right. Of being able to say, like, these are the songs that were noteworthy at the time, whereas the soundtrack that Courtney Love put together was, like, trying to get interesting people and then, like, make an, mm-hmm. a good album, like, from scratch, rather right. than just, like, picking yeah. memorable, noteworthy songs from right. the time. But I I, I get what you're saying. Well, it'd just be all the more reason why it would make more sense now, you know? Yeah. It would just work that much better. So. Mm-hmm. Oof. Tank Girl. 1995. yes sir uh next film please coming out june 30th 1995 we have judge dread the original you could never control yourself what makes you think you could control these things you're in control you be head of the council you choose and you choose quickly, too. I should have put you down myself, personally. 
You know, I never understood that. Why did you judge me? Why did you judge me? You killed innocent people. The means to an end. You started a massacre. I caused the revolution. You betrayed the law. Millsy. Yeah. In a dystopian future, Joseph Dredd, the most famous judge, parentheses, a police officer with instant field judiciary powers, is convicted for a crime he did not commit and must face his murderous counterpart. His judge Dredd must face Rico. (laughs) (laughs) So you had seen this back in the day or no? Yeah, I saw this like back around. I didn't see it in the theater, but I saw it like probably rented it from the library within the year that it came out. This was like a VHS rental at some point, like once. I yeah, I can't imagine I saw this more than once because a lot of stuff looked I did not remember. I'm going with I'm going with this being my second time watching Tank Girl and my third time watching Dread or Judge okay. Dread. Sorry, can't right. confuse it with the Good Dread movie. I mean, the movie Dread is awesome. as we've discussed on this show. Yes, is fucking great. Is fucking great. <laughs> You can go back and listen to our episode with uh, Doug Miller, No Relation, and uh, hear us talk about that one. (laughs) So it's not doing the movie Judge Dredd any favors by us had already seen Dredd and talking about it. But, Mm -hmm. you know, basically for me, that's all I'm holding up against is very familiar with the look of the character and have seen both movies. Yeah. So let me just say, as far as the look is concerned... Once again, to mimic kind of what I was saying about Tanker a little bit, this movie looks awesome. Mm-hmm. I love Judge Dredd's costume with like the giant golden shoulder pads. Like they they stuck pretty close to the comic. There's no real green in his costume. Like mm-hmm. normally he would have green boots and gloves and knee pads, but right. the helmet looks cool. Stallone looks good in the costume, especially with the helmet on. Especially. That he barely wears, but yes. the motorcycles look cool. The guns look pretty cool. The city looks incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, the post-apocalyptic wasteland looks great. Mean Machine looks fucking awesome, and the ABC robot looks incredible as a physical, yeah, like prop. Yeah, watching the movie and getting to the part where they're fighting the hillbillies out in the wasteland. Yeah, and like you said, Mean Machine, the guy with one arm. One arm's missing. The other one's like a crazy metal prosthetic. Mm-hmm. I was like so much joy to like probably thinking that was cool back in the day, but seeing it now, how I am about practical effects and monsters and robots and everything. I was like, dude, I loved that get up so much. Yeah. I was so, I wanted that scene to be the entire movie because <laughs> he looked so, he looks so good. Yeah. It's not even funny. Mean Machine, the ABC robot, and the Judge Dredd costumes in general look pretty damn close to the comics. And yeah, like visually, this movie is quite good, quite Mm -hmm. appealing. The uh, ABC robot, of course, no surprise for anyone listening that I love that thing. So cool looking. (laughs) They they get a lot done for having like a nine foot tall robot on set. Mm-hmm. And all the limitations that can come with that, but they still get a lot done with it. Yeah, apparently the production wanted that to be like a man in suit, mm-hmm. but then I, somebody fought for it, and they ended up making this like big thing that actually ran on pistons and stuff, and had to have five people to operate it. That was like a puppet. Mm-hmm. Much better decision. Yeah, for sure. 
It just—it's got cool character. It's like intimidating. It makes cool sounds, and it looks awesome. Mm-hmm. And it rips like, people's arms and legs uh, off, which they actually filmed, but then the studio pulled from the the uh, final cut of the movie. This is another one where the movie was intended to be a certain thing, and then the studio, and from what I understand, Sly Stallone himself mm-hmm. got their fingers into the pie, and then it, it turned into something completely different. The writer and the director wanted this to be like an R-rated, darker movie with satire, mm-hmm. whereas mm-hmm. Stallone had it in his head that he wanted a PG-13 action comedy for like right. families to go see. And so the way I was reading every step of the way, Stallone was like changing the dialogue and asking uh-huh. for rewrites, and then the right. studio would come in and take out the ultra-violent bits. And, right. Uh, when they first submitted it to the MPAA, the movie got an NC-17, and by the time they were done cutting the shit out of it, it was a PG-13. It's not nearly as messy as Tank Girl. No. Like, it does feel like a total movie. Milzy, I will say this. It sounds crazy to say. Uh-huh. Hands down, for me, Stallone is the worst part of this movie. <laughs> I... I... I hate Sylvester Stallone in this movie in this role <laughs> I it's a toss-up for me okay between him and Rob Schneider <laughs> okay well see it's a trifecta for me because it's him those two birds and Armand, and Asante, Armand Asante is so terrible the three leads I'm gonna ah. say I'm gonna say Rob Schneider's the better out of the three of them because at least well, he's, just, Schneider, he's just playing he's, Rob Schneider He's, remember one of my classic lines on the show? He's just a joke delivery system. Yes. He's there for one purpose. And like, Uh yeah, he's fine as the single thing that they hired him for. But like, you could take him out of this movie and it wouldn't matter at all, except you'd lose a couple of like, oh, I fell on my butt and hurt myself jokes. Like Hands down, he does not need to be in this movie. But at least for me seeing him, I rolled my eyes every time he talked. But at least like he's just doing what he's there to do versus... Armand Asante and Stallone, I don't know what either of them were thinking or were on at the time. I mean, <laughs> Stallone plays Judge Dredd like the goofy cops from Demolition Man that he yeah. hates. Like, it does, it, he feels like it's so campy. It's so, like, over the top the way he plays Dredd. It's, I hate it. Between this and Demolition Man and like reading Stallone talk about both of them, it feels like he wanted nothing more in his career during this time period than to have like a big runaway success, like science fiction action franchise. Mm -hmm. Because he like he was really behind Demolition Man and still to this day talks about it like he wishes that it had taken off and doesn't understand why it was such a failure. But I mean, that's another movie where they chopped the shit out of it after the fact that it ended up being just kind of mediocre instead of like really fun like it could have been i disagree on that part but yes and the same thing happened here and it's like stallone you are the common denominator here with these movies like you can't have it both ways like you can have this like cool action sci-fi franchise but you have to let somebody else make a decision every now and then but i know you, you directed some movies in your time but come on i mean i like demolition man much more but you're not wrong when it comes to chopping out some of the fun and this yeah, i mean movie, i like demolition man too but i mean they they like butchered yeah, the uh sure. the original story with like the daughter and everything oh and, yeah and now it's like do we how much of that do we blame stallone maybe a lot because i read some of the same things about judge dread 
It sounds like he just had the, from the get-go, had the wrong idea about this movie. Yeah. And used, like, his clout to form it to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, 100%. Uh, like, I did read about studio changes with this movie, but most oh. of the time, the things that I was reading was Stallone wanted this and Stallone changed that. And, like, it sounds like from the beginning, like, so Stallone, from what I read, had never heard of Judge Dredd until they pitched him this movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think he just didn't understand that it was supposed to be like a dark, violent thing with the the humor being satire, not out and out jokes like fucking Rob Schneider is delivering or one liners, but just like the absurdity of it all being the humor. And it feels like Stallone just didn't understand that there's such a thing as subtlety. No, because every line delivery of his is terrible. Yeah, and just down to the fact that they gave him like a catchphrase throughout the movie. I knew you'd say that. Oh, like what the fuck was that? <laughs> yeah, it's just like just terrible. Know, those, the stupid contacts, you know, those gray eyes. Immediately when I saw those, I must have never noticed before when I was younger. But like in high def, it's like you like how do you not immediately guess something's up when you see him with like those steely gray eyes and then Rico's got the same ones and Rico's yeah. just screaming the whole time he like, that guy Armand Asante was on lots of cocaine when he made this that's the I only mean, thing i can think of cuz he looks wired the entire time it's crazy there's one, i feel like at the end when he's like when they're like yelling at each other about them being brothers or whatever was like the one time I was like, this like delivery would make sense here if he hadn't been doing it the entire movie. <laughs> yeah. And it's just he's yeah, like you said, he's like wired. Like he'd been he like he'd been electrocuted or something. He's mm-hmm. crazy. Like he looked like he should have been filming the final scene of Scarface, not this movie. <laughs> yeah. Like he should have just had his head buried in a pile of cocaine and then just oh, been blasting people from nuts. a balcony in a mansion. I mean, when you first see him and then you start to hear the story, it's like, what on what planet did anyone ever let this guy become a judge? Like, it doesn't <laughs> yeah. like there's no like subtlety to his character that would think like, oh, he cracked one day or, you know, he was just like dread until just like one day everything changed. Like, like no, but all intents and purposes, he was a lunatic the entire time. Yeah, they really make it feel like, you know, these guys were in the womb together and then one yeah. got all the good aspects and the other one got all the crazy. Right. But they still made him a judge. It's <laughs> like, wait, wait, what? You know, it's yeah. just like, what are you guys doing? And this is another one kind of like Tank Girl where this is like kind of a more middle of the road action movie and it's kind of what you expect from it. But the plot and the plot progression is just so generic and oh, cookie yeah. cutter mm-hmm. and uh, like, you know, with Judge Dredd being like the best of all the judges and then being shamed and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of being humbled by being forced to team up with somebody who he didn't give the time of day and now he understands the struggle of the common man and then they come back together and he has to go like undercover kind of and stop this gigantic crazy fucking cloning scheme and yeah it's just like overwrought again it doesn't do any favors because of us everyone seeing carl urban as dread would just that just feels correct. And that kind of movie where it's just like another day in the life of dread mm-hmm. works completely to where you could make a dozen of these movies. And I would lo- feel like I'd like every one where yeah. it's like this one. It's like 
this feels like so 1995 in a bad way where it's just everything I like about this movie is the visual and just pure guttural feeling that it gives me of 95 uh, like the style of filmmaking, but the right. content of the film yeah. is like said, the plot's terrible, rough <laughs> stories, junk. The writing is not very yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. His the dialogue's terrible. I mean, I don't know what was going on with Stallone. I mean, his opening line is I am the law, isn't it? Which he, I think he says I think like so when he first rolls up and then he says it like two, maybe three more times where it's just like when it's delivered so poorly, so many times it loses like all the feeling it had, especially again, when you go back to like the one time Carl Urban uses it and you like feel it. Yeah. You know, mama's not the law. <laughs> I'm the law. (laughs) And he's like, he's got like the, like grizzly bear, like whisper where it's just like, you know, when you first see Stallone, his jaw is already unhinged. I'm I'm the law. law. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. It happened so many more times. He's like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, I mean, again, I was 13 when I probably saw this, 13, 14. Like, I just don't notice, don't pick up on these things when you're that young. But now I'm mm-hmm. seeing it. I'm just like, oh, my God. And yeah. then to read, it's like, I blame Stallone completely. Yeah, I think that he was a large part of uh, what went wrong with this movie. Because it sounds like, I mean, so the director of this film, Danny Cannon, uh, the other things that he's most known for directing are, I still know what you did last summer. And uh, that horrible looking disaster film that came out like a year or two ago with, I think, Gerard Butler called Geostorm. Oh, boy. (laughs) So it's like, I don't necessarily trust him the most. And then the writer, or there were two writers on the movie. One of them is William Wisher Jr., who was the co-writer with James Cameron on Terminator 2. He's uncredited on a ton of things like Die Hard with a Vengeance. Mm-hmm. He wrote like uh, some Exorcist movies and stuff. And then the other writer is Stephen D'Souza, who had a hand in writing 48 Hours and Commando and The Running Man, Die Hard, Die oh, Hard 2, uh, Beverly Hills Cop 3. The thing that's most close to Judge Dredd that he's worked on, and it's actually a movie he directed as well, was the Street Fighter live action movie with uh, oh. Jean Claude, yeah. which. I like despite how goofy and corny and like right. kind of on the same level this movie is, but well, makes sense between those three guys and like the creative mm-hmm. like angle of this movie, all wanting it to be like darker and more, you know, toned down in its humor. Right. God, they, like people on this production had the right idea. <laughs> And then just, you know, the people like Stallone, he's a big name. He's like the lead in the movie. He's got some say. And then the studio probably backing him up. uh, Just they backpedaled on all the good ideas. And so what you're left with is all the cool production stuff that they couldn't go back and change, like the miniatures and the you Mm -hmm. know models and the costumes. But then everything that they could like reshoot and just change (laughs) the dialogue, the plot, (laughs) like those things get all fucked up. I mean, not that like to say, you know how this movie works or Hollywood in general, but like, I don't even think I would give any grief to the director because for all intents and purposes, he could have been the one that made all the great decisions about like practical effects and like how good some of this stuff looks. I mean, that's usually a director is signing off on those things to be like, yes, that's what I want that to look like versus you have like one of the biggest stars in the world is is your top guy like 
this Danny Cannon could have just been a jobber that like made good decisions for the production, but like has no control over the movie when Stallone's yeah. involved. So I'm pretty sure he was the one that I read about who like really fought for the ABC robot to be a puppet instead yeah. of a man in suit. Like that's those kind of decisions. Like you see, like yeah, it's from like so many years of like reading like behind the scenes books about movies or watching like the making of like. It's always like those kind of decisions. I feel like those are what you really attribute to a director sometimes that you don't think about. Because if the director has a script and then people start changing it on the fly, it's like he's just got to, you know, go with roll with the punches. So, yeah, I might actually like this Danny Cannon guy because he made like everything (laughs) I like about this movie is basically the same as you, you know, like the overall Mm -hmm. look. The Mega City One like looks awesome. It looks a lot different than the Carl Urban Judge Dread. Yeah, but it looks which like very nineties extreme, yeah. which is cool. Right, and which like you know, again, the comics are very like in your face and over the top. And so, yeah, yeah I understand why for the first adaptation, it would kind of look totally. and feel oh, ridiculous absolutely. and extreme. And yeah. then you know, when they try and make people forget about the tainted, you know, Judge Dread name. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go like more more serious and yeah, like more grimier. realistic, and it's it's just a shame that it really does feel like the reason that the Carl Urban movie failed is because people still like two decades later had a bad taste in their mouth from yeah, this one. Totally, I'm not as big a fan of the costume in this one. No, it's just a little. I well, part of it is I kind of like the overall like big like kind of clunkiness of like the shoulder pads, like how huge they are, and like the helmet does look good. It's kind of got more of a, I mean, sign of the times, but like the undersuits are kind of just like kind of spandexy, kind of like got a weird sheen to them that I just yeah. thought looks kind of goofy. And now, I mean, it's probably all they had to work with back then. It was interesting to see in the opening credits that I guess Stallone. Reached out to Gianni Versace, Versace to design. Yeah, <laughs> we designed saw, the fucking costume. When I saw that, and I was like, you know, I was like well aware of what he looked like in this movie, but I couldn't necessarily have like, like sat down and drawn what it looked like if I had to, you know. Mm-hmm. But I was like, kind of just had like a glimpse in my mind of what it looked like. But when that came on the screen, I was like, I was like, oh, that might be trouble, you know. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, it's kind of like ostentatious gold everywhere. The reason I like the look is because, you know, it is toned down a little bit. Again, like in the comic, he has green boots, green gloves, green Mm -hmm. knee pads. Uh, So they get rid of some of the color. But like what we could have ended up with was like the difference between Wolverine's comic book costume and what the X-Men looked like in the first X-Men film, you know? Whereas this, I feel like if you show anybody who's familiar with Judge Dredd a picture of Stallone in costume, it's like, oh, yeah, there it is. It's Judge Dredd, but in real life. Like, the helmet looks really cool. And those gigantic, like, super big golden shoulder pad things, Mm -hmm. like, that's a bold choice right out of the comic. And, like, those two little elements with, like, the chain connected to the badge... Like, that was really enough for me to say, like, you know, it's not 100% perfect, but this is an excellent compromise from what it could have been. And, like, you know, obviously, the not that, again, we need to compare them. The Carl Urban one's a very different movie, and I yeah, it's a totally. more realistic tone and style, and so I want it to look more realistic. And I just love the, you know, future military or future police force feel of that costume. I love that costume. But for the 90s version, if Stallone's going to be wearing it, I want the big gaudy shoulder pads, you know? 
boy. Well, you got him, Mills. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because they're, they're spit-shined and, uh, <laughs> you know, he's primped up for sure. And the funny thing is, like, you know, Stallone pushed for the movie to be, like, more comedic and more accessible and fun. And then you would think in the years since he would have realized that that was a bad decision and that's potentially part of the reason that the movie failed. Mm-hmm. But uh, as recently as 2008, he said this in an interview, which just makes me shake my head and think he never learned his goddamn lesson mm. uh, about this movie. He said, it probably should have been much more comic, really humorous and fun. Jesus. What I learned out of that experience was that we shouldn't have tried to make it Hamlet. It's more like Hamlet and eggs. But I'm dumb. I mean, so to him, this movie is more Hamlet. Like, yeah, to him, to this movie's not funny enough. Like, you couldn't. I don't even know where you would put in more funny. It's all over this movie. Or I know. A- the attempted second funny. that you hire Rob Schneider to be your like jokey sidekick character, like, yeah. what more could you possibly do? And he's aside in from the put a fucking clown movie. wig on yeah. Judge Dredd or something. Right. Rob Schneider is in the from the first scene on. He's in the entire thing. Yeah. There's maybe like one sequence where you're waiting for Dread to like get shipped off, but even he's in the ship, he's in the uh, cargo plate or whatever. It's like the mm-hmm. Rob Schneider's all over this movie, and it's like at some point there's no reason for Rob Schneider to be hanging out with Judge Dread anymore, but he just continues to hang around. It's like early on in the movie, Rob Schneider wants nothing to do with Dread. He wants to get away with him as soon as they get into the city, and then it's like as soon as they're in the city, he never wants to leave his side for some reason, which I can't understand. But very odd. Just missed opportunities for things like they show that army like so at the end of the movie, the big climax is uh, Rico. (laughs) Hmm. I just can't get over the fact that it's like I'm Judge Dredd. I'm Rico. (laughs) (laughs) But at the end of the movie, uh, Rico gets to be in charge of the judges and he sets in motion a plan to create an army of clones of himself that will only take like eight hours to like from inception to being finished. And they've still got like two more hours before they're done, but he's like, you know, we need them now. And so they bring out all these like tubes with these like kind of gross looking, not fully finished growing Mm -hmm. clones. And then nothing ever happens with them. And the reason for that is that there was a scene that they shot where it was dread having to fight these like, gross half like formed mm-hmm. mutant clones of himself of like his brother or whatever and they just took it out of the movie because they thought it was too violent so stupid like, that like, would have been like a cool weird well, ass totally. scene that would have gone along with like you know mean machine and how fucked up judge yeah. Dredd can be would have felt more like what i expect of the judge Dredd comic to have like kind of that gross stuff in there yeah because those clones looked pretty gross like 80 percent, they were kind of disgusting Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were all like bluish yeah, white and, it's just and like didn't nothing. have mouths. And... That would have been yeah. a cool scene. I don't know. For sure. But even just to think like, oh, this this can't be as so violent. It's called Judge Dredd. I mean, he's an executioner. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's bad enough yeah. you got the, the jokies in there, but you could still have some more some more violence for crying out loud. For sure. Ugh. Uh, budget on this one was between 85 and 90 million, which is fucking wild for That's a movie. That's a lot of scratch. 95. In 95. Holy shit. Uh, I mean, it'll get even worse when we talk about the next movie. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, box office take for this one worldwide was 113.5 million. So 
they did make their money back, not by much. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think that's just the power of Stallone, like a huge name yeah. like that. Like most people probably went to see it because of him. Totally. And I do think that that's potentially part of the reason that, like, in addition to this movie leaving a bad taste in people's mouths, I think that's part of the reason that the Carl Urban movie didn't do so hot because, you know, Carl Urban isn't Sylvester Stallone. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is better in many ways in yeah. that role, but on in all ways in that role for sure, yeah. Like Carl Urban can play Judge Dredd, and he can also play Bones McCoy in Star Trek. Imagine Stallone <laughs> trying to play Bones in a Star Trek movie. He'd play it like this. Yeah. I'll jab. I'll, I'll, I'll doctor. <laughs> oh, I'm a doctor. <laughs> not another soldier. <laughs> oh, God. All right. uh, anyway. Now we got to see that. A pocket universe somewhere. That's been a thing. <laughs> Originally, when they first tried to make this movie, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was signed on at some point, like in a much earlier incarnation, like years Mm -hmm. before the Stallone one got made. Stallone's first choice to play Fergie, the uh, Rob Schneider role, was Joe Pesci, who turned it down immediately. Oh, good on him. The studio wanted Christopher Walken to play Rico, but he turned it down. Imagine Christopher Walken (laughs) supposed to be the brother of Sylvester Stallone. (laughs) I love it. I can only hope that we get a dread sequel with Carl Urban and Christopher Walken comes in as Rico. That's what I want. I'd watch it. Yes. Interesting group of directors who were approached and turned this movie down. Hit it. Uh, you got Rennie Harlan, who uh, would make sense to me, you know, mm-hmm. middle yeah, of the road the time, action absolutely. director. Yeah. Uh, Richard Donner, not completely outside the realm of possibility. I mean, he did the Lethal Weapon franchise and Superman. Richard Stanley is an interesting choice. <laughs> He's the guy who recently made Color Out of Space with Nicolas Cage. Uh, oh, he, he did, did um, the Island of Dr. Moreau movie Dr. Moreau, that they took yeah. away from him. Yeah, interesting. And then this one, I cannot wrap my head around. Like, this feels like some shit that you, like, somebody put on Wikipedia as a joke and nobody's gone in and changed it. Mm-hmm. The Cohen brothers were offered this film. Wow. And they went and made Fargo that year instead. <laughs> That's different. Yeah, the Cohen. Bro- Why would you give this movie to the Cohen brothers? That's what I mean. Like, it's just uh, being a fly on the wall in Hollywood, man, would have been the best. <laughs> yeah, fucking wild. Fucking wild. All right, uh, want to jump into our final film? Yeah, you know what I do. All right. Well, uh, July twenty eighth, nineteen ninety five, we got Waterworld. You've been there, haven't you? Dry land? You know where it is. Yeah, I know where it is. And, uh, and we're going? You and I are. Kid, we've got to pitch over the side. What? My boat's tore up. I'm taking on water. I'd be lucky to get half a hydro ration out of that. Yeah, uh, I said I won't drink. For 12 days? No, it's better one of you dies now than both of you die slow. Wait, wait. You saved your life. We got you out. No, you got me out so you could get out. 
or evil. She can cook. She can fish. So can I. Then take my necklace. Take my necklace. I got better ones below. No, look! Oh. To what you went through back there on the atoll, I can understand why you would want to. But she's a child. Milzy. Yeah. In a future where the polar ice caps have melted and Earth is almost entirely submerged, a mutated mariner fights starvation and outlaw smokers and reluctantly helps a woman and a young girl try to find dry land. You know what? I feel like there's a pretty major spoiler in that synopsis <laughs> Very, you just gave. Yes. Even that just Earth the, is it's almost one word. entirely submerged. It's one word, almost. Yeah. <laughs> That's questionable. Questionable decision there. Uh, All right, yeah. so Waterworld. Waterworld. There's a lot to unpack about this one, and it mostly comes from just the public consciousness about the film. Mm-hmm. So the movie, let's just track the history of this film a little bit. Uh, I did, so I wanted to watch the extended version of the movie that we mentioned before that's 40 minutes longer, mm-hmm. but I decided not to just so you and I would be talking about the same version for the show. I'll ch- check it out at some point, but what I did watch was the hour and 45 minute long making of documentary on oh. the Arrow release, Yeah, which just chef's kiss. That thing oh. was amazing to watch. No, I, I need this Arrow edition. <laughs> you really do. It's fucking awesome. So, guy who came up with the idea for this movie, his name is Peter Rader. Uh, he honestly hasn't done a ton. He wrote an Escape to Witch Mountain TV movie. Uh, he's produced a couple of things, but hasn't done a ton of stuff. Uh, so, years and years ago, somebody working for Roger Corman found some money, like some financial backers in, I think it was like South America somewhere. And they wanted to produce a movie. And somehow this dude, Peter Rader, talked to this producer. And the producer was like, look, I have this money. I want you to write me like a real cheap movie that we can make. Uh, think like Mad Max. Because it was like at the tail end of the Max exploitation run that we talked about on our long ago mm-hmm. episode of Triple Threat. Where everyone was just making knockoffs of Mad Max because they were cheap. And so this guy is trying to think of a way to, like, take Mad Max and twist it on its head. And obviously his idea was, oh, instead of a world with no water where you're stuck in the desert, how about a world where you're stuck in the water with no land? And that's what everybody wants. So he takes this idea to the producer, and the producer's like, are you fucking crazy? That would be way too expensive to film for what we want to do. So he, like, shelves the project for a while. Uh, I don't know if the movie that that producer wanted to do ever got made, but... Uh, a couple of years later, he brings the script back out and he ends up selling it to a studio and they want to make it for about $60 million. That studio ends up falling out of the project. I'm not 100% sure why, and it lands at Universal. And they know that, uh, you know, filming a movie of this scale on the water, and again, it's mid-90s, so you don't have like CG to fall back on really for the most part. Uh, During the course of the documentary, so many times people would reference, we wanted to do this, but Titanic hadn't come out yet. Because everyone was talking about how Titanic, like James Cameron was working on like new CG water technology for that movie. And like everyone seems to have been aware of it, but it's like they didn't have it finished yet, so they couldn't use it for this. So most of this movie had to be done practically. 
And so what eventually gets Universal to bump the budget on this is somebody showed it to Kevin Costner and he became interested and wanted to play the lead role. So Universal gives them a $100 million budget, mm-hmm. which is pretty big. I mean, we were just talking about Judge Dredd and you and I were surprised to hear that that same year yeah. they gave it like an $85, $90 million budget. Totally. So then this movie was very difficult to film. <laughs> The atoll, that like city on the water, mm-hmm. all practical, full size, built in the water. Like you just have to watch the documentary to understand the fucking undertaking that thing was. Totally. And like the whole thing floated. So like if the water was a little choppy that day, your camera was sitting on an unstable surface and like just it's madness. But anyway, because of the way that they had to film the movie And then this is just like the story of Tank Girl and Judge Dredd, a film that after it was done, uh, studio and lead star interference came in and they had to go back and do reshoots and stuff. And they ended up doing some significant CG at the end of the film. Budget balloons to $175 million, which is the most a movie had ever cost to make at that point. The previous most expensive film was True Lies from 1994, which was $100 million. Oh, wow. So this beat the previous highest gro- uh, costing movie by 75 mil. Good Lord. And then Titanic beat it two years later with a $200 million budget. But, I mean, when you look at Titanic, you can understand with all the CG and everything. So then this movie comes out in theaters. And, again, I always had heard that this movie was like a gigantic flop, which isn't honestly true. The box office for this film was $264.2 million worldwide. That's pretty good. So, yeah, I mean, if the budget was $100 mil instead of $175 mil, they would have been sitting pretty. Right. Uh, they still didn't have a huge return on investment when you consider, like, uh, you know, promotion costs and, like, paying the theaters and everything. Mm-hmm. But the movie was not that big of a flop. It just wasn't that big of a yeah. success. So I hate when people refer to something like that as a flop. Yeah. You know? Like well, Tank Girl, flop. No, yeah, for sure. Six million on a $25 million budget. <laughs> That's a flop. Yeah. But the real story of where the negative, like, thoughts on this movie come from which I didn't know until I watched this documentary, is the press. Now, do you remember when we did our documentary episode and we talked about, um, what was the Apocalypse Now documentary called? Um, Hearts of Darkness. Hearts of Darkness. So do you remember how in that documentary uh, they were over in the Philippines filming and so all the trade papers back in the United States were like publishing you know, cartoons about it and like... It's like the people at the trade papers back in the United States didn't have anything to write about. So they were just like half making up stories about the production and making it sound. I mean, the production was pretty fucking troubled, but, you know, they were like putting it out there to the world like, hey, this production's really fucking troubled. Mm -hmm. Well, the same thing happened with Waterworld, because as soon as the budget started to grow and it was like the highest like budget for a film ever, the trade papers just started running article after article after article after article, basically bashing the movie before it ever came out. Like, how's it ever going to be good enough to, you know, be worth this much money and all this stuff. And uh, multiple different people from the crew that are interviewed in the documentary talk about how something would happen on set 
and then it's like that that game where you like say a phrase to somebody quietly and then they repeat it to somebody else. And by the time it gets back to you, the phrase has changed. It's like <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the trade paper, they, they gave one specific example where they were filming and they had two cameramen like up on the top of the mast of the, the ship that uh, Kevin Costner runs around on the whole movie mm-hmm. and the water, like the wind picked up and it got really dangerous. And so they decided to bring those two men down and not do that shot. But then, like, the next day, a reporter called the set and wanted to talk to the director and essentially said to him, all right, I know this happened, so don't try to deny it. Tell me about the two cameramen who died on set yesterday. Oh, Jesus. Like, that's actually a story that he tells. Like, so the negative reaction to the film does not come from the fact that it didn't perform well. It comes from the fact that it got fucking slandered in the press before it ever even had a chance to come out. And they talk about how there was only one reviewer who told, like, the true story of the movie. I forget his name, but, like, everybody else was just, like, running with the made-up story about the film. That it was, like, a tragedy. I know. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. How crazy would that make you if, like, this was your movie and people were just, like, making up shit to trash it? Yeah. It's fucking wild. Because at the end of the day, I gotta tell you... I really like this movie a lot. Like, I'm not just like a casual fan of this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm a champion of this movie at this point. <laughs> Millsy, uh, electronic high five. <laughs> I have loved and continue to love Waterworld. Yeah. This movie's awesome, man. <laughs> I mean, this movie rocks. I'll say it has this... some problems, but <laughs> sure, sure. Things do. I mean, none of these movies are squeaky clean tonight <laughs> at all. Yeah. Dude, Waterworld rocks. Waterworld is like an unapologetic action movie. Yeah. It's it not just an action movie. It's like a high, it's like a high adventure film. Yeah. Just Kevin awesome. Costner swinging around on ropes and Dude, the stuff he does on that boat between like the swinging around and just like how like the shots of him like using him and the girls are like using their body weight to make it like he- Oh, you know, one so side cool. of it lift out of the water. It's like so yeah. cool. And he just like looks cool and it's just like he fits the part. I mean, he's he's got the most suspect uh weirdo kind of accent from time to time. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why, because sometimes it changes, sometimes it's there, sometimes it isn't. That being said, I feel like that's like one of the like the really own things that like stick out to me that being like weird or bad. Yeah. But I, I love this movie. Yeah, Kevin Costner is an actor who I've never, like, fully loved. Like, it's always been a little surprising to me that he's such the huge name, like, box office, mm-hmm. like, kind of draw that he is. But in this movie, it's like, I kind of get it because he was passionate about making this and he fully committed to it. Mm-hmm. And you're right, he's a little odd at times in the role, but I like him as the lead. He physically... Like yeah. fits what he needs to do in the role. I think the cast overall is quite good. You have fucking Dennis crazy ass Hopper as the mm-hmm. ridiculous oh. fucking villain. He's perfect. This movie is like a love letter to Mad Max with all like the crazy fucking guys with cobbled together armor. And you've got fucking 
like live action set pieces with like people jumping over things on um, jet skis and giant machine guns blasting the hell out of like mm-hmm. floating cities and just the most enormous gasoline fucking fireball explosions oh, you've ever seen in your life. Crazy. And, the, the jet skis flying out from underwater. Yeah. Uh, and the, you know, visually, the movie is spectacular. Uh, mm-hmm. The cinematography was actually done by the guy who did the original three Mad Max movies. I forget oh. his name off the top of my head. But, cool. like, it's got such beautiful shots and angles, and mm-hmm. it just looks like a million bucks, no pun intended. Like, it yeah, is a it gorgeous movie to look at. It's a little more, it's prevalent for, like, 95, because they, they try to pull off, like, some, like, not quite CG, but there's some bits with, like, the airship mm-hmm. that you could tell they had to make up. I think a couple, like, big shots of the uh, Exxon Valdez at the end. But yeah. None of it looks horrible. And they actually do a pretty good job. The one scene where um, they get picked up by the guy in the airship, they actually don't show the balloon part of it. They mm-hmm. just show, like, the hanging, like, gondola part that you yeah. sit in, which was actually a good decision because they didn't have to, like, waste time, like, coming up with some like cheesy looking effect for it if they couldn't pull it off. Well, I can tell you that of the things that are CG in the film, the flying machine was CG pretty much every time you saw it, which is why they kind of shy away from it a little bit, which is fine. Yeah. It doesn't look horrible, but yeah, you, they 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 pull away from it or don't show it the the right times. Yeah, a lot of the times it's like just the basket that hangs underneath mm-hmm. of it comes into frame, and you're just like, oh, I know it's hanging from something. Not that right. we saw it. Yeah, it's perfect. The one part that I think looks really bad, unfortunately, but it's only like five seconds, is that giant sea monster that Kevin Costner uses oh, himself I as bait about that. for. Yeah, that looks that looks pretty brutal. It's a shame that they didn't just composite in a miniature, but that is one thing that they did CG. And yeah. then uh, the Exxon Valdez, they, well, Valdez, they call it the Ds, like mm-hmm. uh, the, the people in the behind-the-scenes footage. Mm-hmm. That was not a real ship that was built on a set, and then a lot of that did have to be CG'd for, like, the couple of wide shots you see. Yeah. But That's like, the vast fine. majority of the CG in the film, though. There's mm-hmm. not a ton. Mm-hmm. It's already super impressive watching the movie without even knowing all the behind the scenes, but knowing in my mind's eye, like this was all real just cause you can tell, yeah. but yeah, seeing the craft that went in behind the scenes and how big the sets are. And yeah, I don't know. I think this movie is super fucking impressive and it is just a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. It's not like, I don't, I wouldn't see, I'd be compelled to hear anyone's like gripes against it when they actually see it. Cause it's, it's like any big adventure action movie it's awesome yeah. like it's big and loud and fun it's got a great villain i like i really like gene Triplehorn and the the girl that plays in it too mm-hmm. like they play off Kev, kevin costner they're both great. real good yeah. yeah do you know who the little girl is i don't i remember seeing her name but it didn't ring any bells <laughs> to me uh have you seen napoleon dynamite <laughs> Ooh, one time so whoever you're going to say, I won't remember, probably. <laughs> it's Napoleon's girlfriend. She's like the main girl in the movie, like the quiet, awkward How, girl. But... I don't even remember, but that's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, the girl from Napoleon Dynamite is the little girl <laughs> from Waterworld. That's funny. Yeah, the thing is, like, you know, I know that you're on my side here, and this is a safe space because we don't have a guest on. Uh, mm. 
but I feel like this movie gets some of the same backlash that Avatar gets. Totally. Because, you know, they're both like these huge, gigantic movies, um, and neither of them is 100% original in mm-hmm. concept. It's more of like right. the, the the set dressing or whatever you want to yeah, call it. That's like, like a, that's an old, tired argument anyways. Yeah, well, I, mean, I everything's I don't even at this point. Right. If so. somebody makes that argument against Avatar, I just do not respect your opinion because... Yeah. Right. Uh, well, welcome there's to a ton Hollywood. of fucking movies that that <laughs> yeah. are similar to other films, but right. you can't just use that as your go-to for one movie because you don't like it for whatever right. reason. But yeah, like, um, I know people you who convin- you want to compare it to Fern Gully that you've also never seen. You know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know one person for sure. I think I know two people who have never seen Avatar, but they mm-hmm. like refuse to watch it because it's they think it looks so dumb or whatever. And I'm like, oh fuck off! It's a, it's a James Cameron science fiction action yeah. movie, like. Come on. But anyway, I feel kind of the same way about Waterworld. I feel like people have preconceived notions of it, uh-huh. have pre-decided that it's not good, and have never just sat back and let the movie fucking wow them. I was going to say, there's two movies that right now get the stamp of ultimate approval from Triple T Theater, Avatar oh, yeah. and Waterworld. <laughs> For sure. Uh, we're not winning any friends here, but uh, I fuck don't them. care. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just, again, this movie... You know, I feel like it is a little weaker in the third act. This is a case where they changed the original writer's script significantly. Oh, they mm-hmm. actually brought in, I didn't know this until recently, David Toohey, uh, the guy who created the Pitch Black and Chronicles mm. of Riddick franchise. Yeah. And he also, he wrote Critters 2, which I didn't know. That was his first, like, credited oh. script. And he wrote The Fugitive, the fucking Harrison oh. Ford movie. Awesome. Okay. Uh, he wrote G.I. Jane. He's written a ton of stuff. But um, they brought him in to do rewrites, and I think that they ended up using, like, the seventh rewrite for the movie, mm. and they started filming it without fully having the ending in mind, and they were kind of making it up on the fly a little bit. So while... Like which part of that you think is... I don't necessarily have any issues with the ending of it, so... I'm curious, like, what do you think is the the, the problem there? I just think that uh, as, like big and grandiose as everything is like having Costner just like show up by himself and everything wrap up so quickly. Like it feels like the movie is on such an epic pace that the ending like comes and goes very quickly. Mm, I mean, it does me. happen like, pretty fast. Yeah. Um, it just feels like it was like uh, not the most well thought out thing in the world. Not that I think it's necessarily bad. Right. And there's gotcha. really cool stuff in it. Like fucking Costner, chasing down the airplane on the fucking mm-hmm. deck of the boat while sliding down the fucking uh, rope with a mm. like an anchor like that's a cool <laughs> ass fucking part of the movie and it looks good too like whoever mm-hmm. the stuntman was or whatever they got some that was not angles. a stuntman that was kevin costner no the whole time wow. yeah uh because they set up that shot and the producers did not want to let kevin costner do it he was willing to do it and then uh, the like this is one of those stories where it sounds kind of bullshit, but the way it's told in the documentary, I believe it. The director was like walked away while they were arguing about letting Kevin Costner do it, went up to the top of the boat and made the like stunt people fasten him into it. And then he slid down the thing himself and was like, I just did it. Kevin Costner can do it. That's awesome. And then Kevin Costner actually does it himself. And I mean, he's oh, hooked into a harness good. and all. It's like obviously like safer a... than it appears, yeah, yeah. but. But still, this stuff exploding and rust mm-hmm. everywhere. God, whatever, the though, fucking you know? explosions of this movie. It's so big and epic in scale. It's honestly 
Like, yeah, there's plenty of comparisons to be made to Mad Max in general, but yeah, yeah. it feels like it is the natural link between like the kind of archaic at this point, original mm-hmm. first couple Mad Max movies and the fucking bonkers, amazing Mad Max Fury Road. Right. And it's like, even it's not a detriment either. Cause like, it feels like it, anyone, like a, an elevator pitch that someone would give you money immediately. If you say Mad Max, but on water, you know? Yeah. Like, that's not a bad thing. That's like, that's someone would pitch that and get, get it funded. Mm-hmm. They did. So, yeah, man, it's just, yeah. I, I get so much joy watching this movie. It's just yeah. so much fun. I mean, I watched this three days ago, and all I want to do right now is buy the Arrow edition and watch the extended one and then all the extras. <laughs> yeah. There's actually three versions on there, and I want to watch them all oh, now. But uh, Yeah. I mean, Waterworld's are like a movie. I feel like I I probably haven't seen it in like five years plus, but like I said, I've probably seen it every five years. I might have seen it because I'll always watch it. I love it. Mm-hmm. Unless I'm forgetting something, and I may be, but like if you think about Kevin Costner's like big roles, you've got like uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Dances with Wolves, um, The Bodyguard. Yeah. I mean, I would consider myself like a Kevin Costner fan because I love Prince of Thieves and The Bodyguard too. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I like both of those. Um, yeah, I mean, just I like Dances you. with Wolves. I saw that not too long ago I've for the first time. I've never seen that one myself, but I actually like him in uh, even more. Recently, however many years back, he did uh, The Guardian. It's like a Coast Guard movie. Never saw that one. Yeah, he was good in that. But I honestly, 100% seriously think that this is my favorite Kevin Costner movie. I mean, for me, it could be... See, I really like Prince of Thieves and The Bodyguard. I remember when I rewatched Prince of Thieves not too long ago... I remember thinking it was kind of problematic and it's another movie that has like, it's very tactile and mm-hmm. it's uh you know, pre CG and everything. And it looks really good and everything. But I remember watching it and thinking like, this is a movie that I feel like people really hold up as being incredible. And I'm like, I like it, but this yeah. movie is almost the opposite where people like drag it through the mud. And I'm like, man, I really love watching Waterworld. <laughs> Yeah, not that they have to be in direct comparison, but I'm just saying like that's how much I like this movie. Yeah, I mean it could be it's a toss up because I really like the Bodyguard and I really like him in the Bodyguard, but mm-hmm. it's it's a toss up between two movies I love. So, does I the Bodyguard nothing. have Jack Black as like a post apocalyptic <laughs> pilot? Oh yes. <laughs> oh Jack, so funny. That's one of those amazing bits of trivia yeah. is that Jack Black in his early days was a, like a, so f- a bit part in this and Mars Attacks. So funny. I uh, just looking at Costner's IMDb. He makes like he's made a movie like every year since like 1981. <laughs> yeah. Like consistently at least one. It's pretty yeah, he, He's one of my dad's favorites, which oh, yeah. isn't surprising considering the kind of guy he is and the kind of movies he mm-hmm. makes. Blake, I've never seen his Wyatt Earp. I gotta check that out. No, I've never seen that. Oh, let me write that down. I mean, the post <laughs> they got the Postman. Never seen that. Yeah, that's one uh, I've always wanted to see for similar reasons to Waterworld. That like, I know it didn't go over well, but it's like it kind of in the same way that I was saying Stallone. It feels like all he wanted in the '90s was to kickstart like a big, like fun, crazy action adventure sci-fi franchise that he could be a part of. Mm-hmm. 
Costner being the guy who like does westerns and dances with wolves and like crime stuff and like the bodyguard and like classic adventure like uh, Robin Hood stuff doesn't feel like the guy who would do like Mad Max on the water and like uh, I'm I'm the last mailman in the post apocalypse. (laughs) But it feels like he must have like some kind of passion for those kind of stories. Mm-hmm. And it like that alone makes me want to watch the postman, even though most people seem to think that it's terrible. Yeah. Well, some foreshadowing here, but let's just say <laughs> maybe you'll be watching it eventually. Wink, 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 wink. Yeah. Man, but, he was Elliot Ness too in the Untouchables. That was a good one. Right, right. Yeah, that's good yeah. too. Yeah. He's been all over that. But anyway. Hey man, Waterworld. Yeah. Waterworld rocks. Okay. Mm-hmm. I love Dennis Hopper in this. Uh, He's just the right amount of crazy. Yeah, he's nuts. He's like perfect, like 1995 crazy. I mean, between this and speed, he's just like a lunatic and it's perfect, you know? And like giving him the physical disfigurement like a James Bond villain. Yeah. uh, And then letting him play around with that with like the different eye coverings and like Uh revealing his gross eye every now and then. It always looks gross. Always. Yeah. Mm -hmm. God, just the idea of like they are on this giant oil tanker. So, you know, everybody else is just scrounging by with what they've got floating around in the ocean and they have the means to do so much more, but then they're just asshole pirates and Mm -hmm. uh, just little weird moments that I love that feel like they could have been cut out of like a big blockbuster film like this, but like the weird guy that they keep down in the bowels of the ship who like measures how much oil is left how weird looking he is and he's like barely clothed and he's like his, scraggly and fucked I up love, looking. I love when he's about to explode and he's like, yes. oh, thank God. That's, <laughs> that's a great moment. That's like like that guy's in two scenes and he's a fascinating little character. Yeah. yeah. He's got the perfect delivery when he's like so glad to be dying. Yeah. Uh, just, I don't know, man. I This movie has incredible production value. Like maybe it didn't yeah. need to cost as much as it did, but incredible mm-hmm. production value like so many fascinating ideas it's very different mm-hmm. from any other movie just because it is like post apocalypse on the water like yeah no great cast i mean i think the girl's great i love their relationship yeah i mean gene triplehorn yeah, holds up good. against him cuz you know the stuff she has to deal with in this movie is bonkers too between mm-hmm. you know just dealing with the the mariner the the creep guy she almost gets sold off to, you know, yeah. like, it's just, this is, there's a lot of like just wild ideas that are perfectly executed. in this. Even movie. that's a great scene when they come across some other guy who's been floating out at sea for so mm-hmm. long, he's like gone crazy and yep. he like wants to trade. But what he wants in return is, uh, to spend Her. time yeah. with Gene Triplehorn. And at first Kevin Costner, because he's like pissed at the girls at this point, uh, he's like, he, like basically gives her up like, yeah, you can have your way with her changes his mind. And then it's like, they set up this like fight to the death mm-hmm. and then they don't show it. And it's like such a great cinematic choice. The way that it's done, you hear them struggling and you're just looking at the women up top who like, you know, for all intents and purposes, if Costner loses, then what the fuck is their yeah. fate? You know? Yeah. They're in worse And off. then up comes the other dude, uh, mm-hmm. played by Kim Coates from, uh, Sons of Anarchy, among other things. Yep. Mm-hmm. And for a second, you know, you're just like, oh, shit. And just the whole way that scene plays out is amazing. And it's just yeah. not necessarily what you'd expect. Yeah, I just love it, man. I love the sequence. It, you know, it's 
one of the technically worst looking scenes in the movie, but also the best looking at the same time because of like the compositing isn't perfect, but the part where he takes Gene Triplehorn down under the ocean to see the ruins of the former mm. world that's flooded. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a cool scene, just like fills that part of me that loves like wonder and fantasy in movies with joy, just like seeing what it looks like down there and even his method of doing it and all the little shit on his boat with like, he basically made like a, a little timer to reel up uh, whatever he finds right, down there right. by pouring yeah. like the beads into this little tray. And so cool. Yeah. His little machine for recycling urine. And I just love it, man. I love this movie. <laughs> yeah. It's just like love letter to Waterworld, episode 46. Yeah. If you're one of those people who judges this movie and has never seen it or hasn't seen it in a long time, like for shame, mm-hmm. just give this fucking it. movie a chance. It deserves yeah. it so much. Yeah, man. I mean, we covered it. Yeah. Waterworld. I mean, no, no big surprises coming later in the show, but <laughs> yeah, but uh, I can't say enough good things about yeah. this movie. I, I really mean, we can. just have to one of these days we'll watch it together and we'll record live commentary. Yes, live commentary for the uh, version that's like two hours and 55 yeah. minutes or whatever. Uh-huh. Sold. Can we get, uh, you know how on like talk shows like Conan O'Brien has Andy Richter who sits off to the side and makes a funny comment every now and then? Mm-hmm. Can we enlist uh, Megan to sit in and oh, give us comments yes. every every now and then while we watch <laughs> yes. the the three hour version of Waterworld? Oh, yeah. Whenever oh, yeah. she wakes up from a nap in the middle of the movie, <laughs> <laughs> yes, she would love that. So yeah, bet on it, bet on it, fan. Excellent. No, let's talk some posters. Yeah, let's do it. Tank Girl, mm. not the best poster. <laughs> uh no. It almost it, it makes little sense the layout of this poster. Mm-hmm. They give an awful lot of attention to a giant skull in skeleton hand in the background. Yeah, why is there a giant in the background? I don't understand that. <laughs> I mean, the birds. I guess those are birds. Or is that supposed to be that jet thing up top to the left? Uh, I can't tell. Me neither. I mean, this just needed like a good shot of the tank and her on it. But now they got her cropped kind of funny off the Mm -hmm. side. It's almost like they put in the credits and like, all right, make a poster around this layout for these credits. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, this is a they're they're missing an opportunity to a she doesn't look like I mean, she changes costumes and stuff throughout the movie a lot. But this is not even like a memorable look from the film. No. Not even her, even with her with the goggles on, like you're obscuring her face. Mm-hmm. Why? Uh, she like never wears those. Yeah, like she's got so much cooler hairstyles in the movie. Than yeah, just this like one. the hair. She never has this hair in the movie. No, like it just tells me they made this after the fact and or before or something. But yeah, it, it, to me, it would have made more sense to not have the tank look all weird, yellow and washed out. Yeah, and to just have a shot of her. Like standing or sitting on the tank or hanging off of the gun totally. or something. Like right there. And wearing like if it was up to me, she'd be wearing the white shirt with the yellow and blue or the, the red and blue target because that's like a mm-hmm. recognizable look from the comics. Yeah. She could just be standing on the tank with that yeah. outfit. That would that would be great. This yeah, this I can't figure out what in the world yeah, they this were is thinking junk. with this. This one. is a trash poster. Yeah. In the future, the odds of survival are a thousand to one. That's just the way she likes it. I don't fully understand that just either. 
Yeah, just unnecessary. Hell, have Jamie Hewlett draw the poster for the movie. I mean, he yeah. drew half the film already anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, who knows, man? Yeah. Uh, Judge Dredd. Iconic. I mean, this one is, yeah. was on the back of many comic covers in the back, for sure. back of the day. You know, yes, there could be for sure better posters for this movie, but I don't mind this. No, I don't either. Uh, it's a cool graphic look. It's not too like full of text. It does have a tagline in the future. One man is the law. Um, I'm fine with that. I mean, it, yeah, it's fine. The, it's not the best use of that line. This is like easy on the eyes. You got the gold, the red. It's I appealing. Mean, like you look yeah. at it, like you look at that tank girl poster and it's like, it takes you a minute to even figure out what's going on. Judge Dredd is nice and simple. Yeah. I mean, this like, I know. Still, it almost looks like he's got the Botox going. I was just thinking that his lips do look weirdly like pouty and shiny, like he just Weird. put on lip gloss. And maybe it's just the angle or it's the mask, but it seems like like the distance between like the top of his lip up to his nose, because you don't even see his nose, mm-hmm. seems like very big. But like yeah. uh, again, if I was drawing this, I would never have thought like that was a feature of his. But yeah, well, I mean, I would I would kind of guess that this was. Uh... It's not actually a photo of him wearing the helmet. It's probably a photo of his face, like oh, you think so? You know, whatever photoshopped yeah. under the helmet or whatever. But yeah, but yeah, maybe. all intents and purposes, pretty good. Yeah, it's a solid. It's not super inspired. It's pretty generic, basic, but it is a nice looking poster. Mm-hmm. Fair. And then Waterworld. This is another interesting thing from watching that documentary. They had a sequence where they showed like a bunch of the different concept designs for different posters. Mm. And I have to admit, this is among the more bland and uninteresting of yeah. them, especially when you consider that the movie has such like cool high flying action and stuff. This totally. is a very somber kind of yeah. it's it's not bad looking like decent color scheme, but like you don't know what the hell that symbol on the sun is yeah, I mean, unless you nothing. watch the film. I mean, why would you not have just like a full like the the poster is completely water and he's like on his boat doing something cool. Yeah, I was just thinking like if it was like kind of a cool upshot of him like leaning off up at the top of his mast like looking out into the distance or something or Yeah. Yeah. Some kind of so, hero shot, which there were designs that were closer to that, but right. I mean if he's like, like, you know, he's on the boat pointing a spear gun or something like that tells me Waterworld this Mhm. You know, just this is like washed out badly photoshopped or whatever it was in 95 it's just yeah it's split down the middle which doesn't even make sense if anything why would you just put his whole head at the top and water at the bottom or something but Mm -hmm. i don't know man uh beyond the horizon lies the secret to a new beginning it's fine i mean it's fine it's nothing it's gobbledygook but it's fine yeah kind of kind of i don't know uninspired uh yeah. It it does feel like a kind of committee choice, but yeah, it's te- I guess I kind of would call it iconic because it's it's the one poster I associate with the movie. I don't know sure, if but I mean, just ones. because you've seen it a million times, yeah. That's so, no, that's I just mean yeah. like it's I don't. There's no other piece of art I associate like iconic's not the word, but yeah, like this is the one thing I could think of when it, same with dread like this. That's the one and only, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, like Tank Girl, I'm pretty sure that like the VHS release had a different cover than this Mm -hmm. uh, that was like more kind of brightly colored. And I think that's more what I kind of imagine when I think of Tank Girl. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I got to say, 
break it down for the people. I'm going to give uh, four gross 80% finished clones to Judge mm. Dredd. Fair. Because I do like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to give two ounces of dry earth to Waterworld. <laughs> two ounces of... <laughs> I like it. And uh, I'm going to give one spent tank shell casing to Tank Girl. Man, Milzy, you got it. I mean, you've got this, you know, down to a science now. I've been doing this for 42 episodes now. I think I know what I'm doing. I commend you. (laughs) All right, Milzy. So the buy, borrow, burn time. I think we both know what we're buying. (laughs) Yeah. Let's get, I mean, surprise to no one. Waterworld for sure. Yeah. I can't wait to buy it. How about that? Yeah. No, I I feel you. The, I'm, I think I got, I must have gotten my Waterworld box set at a, at 50% off during a sale. Mm-hmm. But uh, the edition that I have is like a SRP, like 40 or $50 box set. And, uh, oh, wow. It's worth it. Uh, I think I probably spent like 25 for it, but, uh, you know. I mean, that's, that's more my wheelhouse, but I'll find it. Happy to, happy to spend it. Happy to buy it and uh, literally have bought it. Yeah. Well done. For me, I'm going to borrow Judge Dredd and burn Tank Girl just because Judge Dredd, it's, uh, the reason really is that while it's not great, it's uh, less annoying to watch. <laughs> uh, Tank Girl does just feel like really cobbled together. Mm-hmm. Uh, Judge Dredd definitely feels like it's missing some things, but it's still a mostly watchable movie with like a plot line that you can understand. Mm-hmm. There are some baffling decisions, but I like the overall look of the film better. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, Tank Girl, I still have the feeling I think I did when I first saw it, which was just that it's like, uh, it's kind of a forgettable, just kind of nah, nothing of a movie to me. Yeah. Like, there are elements of it that I like, but uh, it just not enough of it came together where right. enough of Judge Dredd came together that uh, I could see myself revisiting this again. Right, right. Not necessarily I mean, anytime soon, but. Right. Nothing Nothing here is as bad as a Braxis, but. <sighs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. So officially buying Waterworld, borrowing Judge Dredd and burning Tank Girl. Very good. How about you? Well. As already said, buying Waterworld, easy decision. Now, the other two breaks down like this for me. Tank Girl. I think Lori Petty is a better Tank Girl than Stallone is a Judge Dredd. <laughs> That's fair. Both of them feel... Judge Dredd feels more finished than Tank Girl. Mm-hmm. For me, Tank Girl is a little more fun than Judge Dredd. There's, but there's so much left out of Tank Girl. So it... it, it doesn't compare in that regard to Judge Dredd. At least Judge Dredd feels like it was, it finished, even though there's clearly parts missing. Yeah. So we're breaking it down for the borrow and the burn. I'd have to say, if there's one of these movies I would see myself watching again, mm-hmm. it would be Judge Dredd. Yeah. Just because I want to see like the, I want to see those backgrounds. I want to see the effects. I want to see the, Mean Machine and the ABC Robot. Like, if I was going to watch one of these, it's going to be that one. I'm going to get more from that viewing than... Now that I've seen Tank Girl, I don't hate it. I mean, we've got, kind of gone all over it, but... Yeah. 
there's I don't feel like there's going to be a reason for me to watch it out. If I watch Tank Girl again, it's going to be the same feeling of like, man, they missed tons of opportunities here. <laughs> Too bad. Yeah. Or at least I'm going to roll my eyes at this could be the first time on our show that I'd say the three lead characters, I roll my eyes at all three of them the same between <laughs> Stallone and uh, Rob Schneider and Armand Asante. But I could still watch that movie again just because it's spread throughout our thing, some eye candy for me. Mm-hmm. You know, at least like Diane Lane's good in it too. She's the best actor in the whole thing. I forgot thing. to mention that during the review. How yeah. crazy is it? Because she's another one that feels like she's like a legitimate actress. Like something like this oh, yeah. would be weirdly beneath her. But to think like Diane Lane mm-hmm. is the female lead of the 95 Stallone yeah. Judge Dredd film. Like to- I completely forgot she was in this. To- oh, total surprise to me. So, yeah, I mean, she was good. But yeah. So that What's the bigger surprise that Naomi Watts is in Tank Girl or that uh, Diane Lane is in Judge Dredd? <sighs> Probably Naomi Watts just because like <laughs> I feel like the first time I saw her in a movie was like much later than 95. Yeah. But um I feel like it would have yeah. probably been The Ring for me. Or no, well, yeah, probably The Ring. Yeah, same. Cuz that so. came out when I was in high school, so like 2000ish. Mhm. So yeah, that makes sense to me. But yeah, so officially by Waterworld Borrow Judge Dredd, Burn Tank Girl. Yeah, look at us matching up again. Hey, I feel like we've been doing that, that kind of frequently recently. We we're on a we're on a a, uh, a roll with that. This will be <laughs> our third and third in a row, Mills. Wow. Oh man, we have to shake. Are we becoming too predictable and boring? <sighs> I mean, we're having a good time, so I don't give a damn. <laughs> I can appreciate that point of view. <laughs> oh well, yeah, so there it is. Yeah, well, hey, Millsy. Mm-hmm. The excitement's setting in. I'm ready. How many episodes we got? We are up to 235 possible themes to choose from. Here we go. Which will Two, we get? Five. Millsy. Yeah. 148. Mm. 148. Pretty close to the middle. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> uh, theme number one forty-eight for Triple Threat Theater episode number forty-three is going to be the final frontier. Mm. Oh mm-hmm. man, this is one of those ones you come up with, and you're like, you don't think about when you're actually going to have to sit down and watch these three yeah. films in rapid yeah. succession. I mean, this is a trifecta that would would eventually come up but yeah now i'm like oh it suddenly is like real <laughs> like there's i've seen one of these i'm imagining we've seen the same one <laughs> and then the middle one is something i would never expect that i'd see <laughs> the only time i'm watching that one is because i have a podcast forcing me to do it well it's a good thing we do then yeah oh Looking at these three titles, I cannot predict what the Bioboro Burn is going to look like. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's possible that the second or third one could surprise us, but... I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) I hope there's a surprise in here somewhere for us. Well, we will find out in uh, three short weeks when episode 43 comes out and is revealed what the Final Frontier actually means. 
Get ready, party people. Yeah, I don't don't think it's possible to get ready for this one. Well, on that, I will say this is Triple Dead Theater, and I am Joe Daxberger. And I'm Ryan Miller. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, happy, happy.